and I'm asking thought leaders, entrepreneurs and executive coaches around the world simple questions about the leadership gap we are facing in the 21st century. Maybe some of my respective guests' answers can help you in finding new ways of thinking, problem-solving, work-life balance and having higher resolution of mind. Today's podcast is dedicated to Dennis Roberts, author and mentor of well-known, fully individualized, one-on-one master mentor tutor program for premium coaches. When speaking of Dennis, many CEOs and founders talks about amazing transformation he helped them achieve, such as Dennis helped me find the strength to work through my barriers, Dennis' approach makes a tremendous difference, or Dennis is intuitive, professional and result-oriented. Hi, Dennis. I'm so happy to be able to work with you on some projects and appreciate your mentorship a lot. Uh, Can you tell us what kind of your experience uh, drives transformation of your students? Um, I think the biggest factor, if you call it that, is actually enabling people to be themselves enabling people to discover what makes them unique as an individual and then as that occurs get deeper and deeper into their own authenticity and authority and that brings an incredible freedom because I think the biggest freedom any one of us can experience is that of being independent, being we're on our own two feet that we can handle whatever life presents us with and we are confident that our capacity to connect with others and the universe will open up mutual relationships through which the team can do much more than the individual. That sounds great. Um, we are in contact now for some time. So if I understood you well, you worked in corporate sector and then started working independently? Or what, uh, what was the process of your transformation to independency? Okay. Um, very early on in my life, I was an internal corporate transformation consultant. And then I... Um, actually found a couple of things. One is that I really didn't feel that I fitted within the hierarchical organisation. I felt quite a lot of conflict between the role and who I was actually as a person. And that decided me fairly early on to become independent because Mm -hmm. independent was actually the source of liberation. So I opened up a small boutique consulting firm when I left with two colleagues, um, uh, both of them professors, 
and who shared an interest in virtual organization. And we created a virtual practice, virtual boutique practice, which brought us under the same umbrella. And at the heart of our respective practices, we delivered something called bespoke services. And bespoke is a word that they use in the UK, which is similar to something that's fully individualized. There are a lot of people that are not familiar with the concept of virtual organizations. Can you define them? I mean, it actually has a number of different meanings. Um, So if I take it back to its root, um, a virtual organization is something that doesn't exist on the organizational map. So, for instance, when I worked um, as an internal consultant, I was a member of a team um, which wasn't based in any department, but took consultants from a range of departments, formed the team that um, then was, in a sense, virtual. Um, So if I give you an example of of the piece, a piece of work with a virtual team, um, there were three departments within the organisation, this was in local government, that were responsible for delivering a particular policy. So within those departments, there was no connectivity between the directors of those departments. But within local authority structure, you have a level which is called the assistant director. And the assistant director sits between strategy and implementation. So what I did is I formed a virtual team with an assistant director from each of the three departments involved. And we then created our own performance management systems, goals and targets, which were actually collaboratively created between a team which actually didn't exist on the map, but straddled the existing boundaries. So when I was at university, um, I did my research into co-creative conversations and the genesis of creativity and learning when working across three centres of excellence. So one of these was the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, the other was the University of Oxford, and the other was the University of Sussex. So I put a virtual team and organisation together for the period of the research. So that's what virtual means, actually, in its, its original and its raw terms. And nowadays? Nowadays, with the technology, there's a distinction between um, what occurs face-to-face and what occurs online. And the virtual online means that anyone can meet with anyone else, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And that in terms of virtual organisation, there are two elements to this. One is real-time like we're communicating now, you're in Croatia, I'm in London. Um, And we, you know, the geographical boundaries have melted away. And the other might be virtual, which incorporates non-real-time elements. 
notes. So for instance, you may want to introduce a pre-recorded video into our conversation, which we can do on a different platform. And so then that brings another virtual element into play. So it blends real time and asynchronous time. But the whole thing about virtual organization is, is that it gives the individual the freedom to build a global organization. And that's what I'm really involved in is facilitating professional service business owners in developing global online organizations. come to that topic definitely. Uh, first, I want to ask you one question. Uh, it seems more and more people around the world are experiencing something completely new. Uh, there are new technologies coming as virtual organizations that you mentioned and influencing on jobs. Uh, midlife crisis starts at 40. I mean, what is happening? Well, I think what's happening is, I mean, if we bring this back into a corporate context, I think two things are occurring simultaneously. Number one is that within organisations, CEOs, executives are getting younger and younger, and that means that people are becoming redundant earlier and earlier in their career. And the only real options is to shift from a codependent employee relationship into building an independent business as an entrepreneur. So that's one driving force. The other driving force is what's happening in terms of a virtual corporation. So if we were to compare a virtual corporation with a bricks and mortar, a bricks and mortar corporation has a physical location that physical location is embedded in property, often very prestigious and very expensive property. Mm -hmm. And it's, the property actually underpins their economic and their business model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Virtual organization, we're sitting in our armchairs at home. There are no property overheads. Um, so if we have associates, they can have a 15% commission Whereas within the bricks and mortar, the company will take something like 50 or 60%. So there are those different kinds of savings that are possible. If we're within a global organization, we have incredible flexibility with time. So we can choose to meet people from different parts of the world to fill our calendar. And we can do so again from our armchair. We don't need to actually make physical journeys anywhere. there are a lot of benefits regarding using new technologies as well as business concepts. Uh, we spoke for many occasions about differences, how programs were delivered before and opportunities using 21st century entrepreneurship. Imagine in the old days you had a multinational. It had regions in different parts of the world. It would have a development program, let's say, that was delivered to 10 regions. 
So that actually meant repeating the same program 10 times over. The program was a real-time event, so it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And normally around about the middle of the program, learning accelerated and collaboration and networking accelerated. When the program came to an end, the event finished, learning dropped off considerably, as did collaboration, as did networking. If we now compare that with what's described as blended delivery and localization, you can have a single program which has a continuous virtual call. So it doesn't have a beginning or an end, or when it comes to an end, it can then move into a cycle where the work continues and is built on through meetings, etc. So it doesn't have to have a beginning or an end, and that's a very, very big difference. With glocalization, what happens? So is then it's glocalization? I'll just explain that to ah, you. Ah, okay. What happens with glocalization is the best of both worlds. You have a single pro core program, which is then which is then takes place simultaneously through local teams in different parts of the world from your networks. You're working with a global network. So, for instance, you might be doing face-to-face -face in the Croatia locality, while someone else might be doing it face-to-face -face in the USA. But all of this can be rolled into a single program, if you see what I mean. So you can have the best of both worlds. So you have one program instead of 10 programs with phenomenal savings, not to mention the cost of airfares and all that sort of things which would also come into the bricks and mortar um, business model. So it already started. It sounds really great. I mean, I, I hear more and more about anxiety, depression, and desire for, for change from a lot of people all, all, all around the world. Um, how to help them? Well, I think that where that can set in is the journey from being a codependent. My background is I'm an organizational psychologist, and the journey from being a codependent employee to becoming an independent takes time and goes through a series of really quite distinct milestones. So if you like, when you're a codependent employee in a firm, you are likely to perform a role within a team, within an organization, within a hierarchy. And your role is actually supported by all that organizational infrastructure. When you leave the organization, one of the first things you this is frequently experienced quite acutely, is a feeling of being de-skilled. Because all the other bits of the work that was happening around you suddenly fall on your shoulders. And obviously, it's not your area of expertise. And at the same time, a corporation has a very important social function. So it you know, creates a social environment in which people carry out their work that social environment can almost disappear overnight. 
and the consequences during that very early stage, which I call semi-independence, can involve quite a lot of isolation, fear, depression, all sorts of things, because of the extent of the transformation and the transition that happens, you know, that yet is the journey that yet needs to be made. How to cope with isolation? Actually, this is where coaching comes into its own because the most fundamental team that anyone can form is actually with a coach. And what a coach does is it gives that relationship where people realise they're not doing it on their own. There can be a lot of support. One can also introduce accountability. One can also put things in the form of some kind of strategic plan so actually things are, if you like, broken down into steps rather than feeling completely overwhelming. these steps or stages from that confusion to independence? Phase one is what we call the semi-independence. At this stage, the individual um, really has no clear sense of boundaries between who they are, who their organization is, and who their business is. Because the boundaries are porous, one of the biggest risks during this time is that people heavily invest personal finances in things like marketing programs, which are not really designed to help and educate them, but just people saying, look, we're really expert, you're not, come to us. And and businesses can actually collapse if that's allowed to persist. And not only the business collapses, but it's the double whammy of actually also the personal finances. So that's a very, very critical point. The next stage that happens in development is that the individual begins to discover independence. How that happens is they're able to set a boundary which distinguishes between who they are, who their business is, and who the organisation is. And that then leaves them in a position to begin to manage and lead a business which is separate from themselves, that they can systematize, they can do all sorts of things. But it, you know, it depersonalizes a lot of the issues which prior to that are experienced in very personal terms. So it's also a step towards positivity because the person's in a place where they can see and put positivity into action and discover the benefits of that. The next journey along the way is to become move from independence into full independence. When someone reaches full independence, they're in a position to enter mutually beneficial collaborations because the identity is sufficiently strong. And within the virtual organization, these are built on strategic partnerships. So people form teams, they form them on a peer-to-peer basis as opposed to the hierarchy, which is something you need to unlearn and learn new ways of relating. So all of these are parts of the process, which are part of the journey, which lead towards 
you know, full independence, being able to play things out in teams as part of a community. And of course, in the virtual organisation, um, community replaces what used to be the social function of um, the corporation. your program Dennis if you can let's say connect on some way what what you were talking about the the journey the steps with your unique program with your unique approach okay um my unique program if you like um works from a place where people are actually at a certain skills level but their business is plateaued for various reasons. So the people who would, if you like, for whom my programme would be of value are people who, in professional terms, have reached very, very high levels of mastery using other people's methodologies, but are then ready to discover what their own unique approach is um, and if you like, shift into what we call their own paradigm. When they do that, um, that then frees them to actually move into what you could call an exponential organisation business. Exponential businesses is when you move into the place of forming academies, you're training the trainer, and the trainers grow the organisation. And that's the business model. And it happens fairly systematically, but it's also an open-ended and exponential business. So that's one side of it. But the other side of it, which is really important, is that when the person discovers their uniqueness, their gift, where that gift has greatest impact on their clients, are able to identify their niche with razor-sharp precision, then all of this is also strengthening the brand of who they are. So it really brings the individual who they are, their purpose in life, their passions, it brings it all together and forms very, very solid foundations for making the next move in growing their business. Okay. Thank you for that great answer. We have five minutes left. So my last question will be regarding the future of our civilization. How would you define the importance of that new paradigm? I think the importance of it is that there are two things, really. We're in an age of artificial intelligence. Um, currently, robotics and all these sorts of things are, if you like, replacing lower levels of um, occupation. Over the next few years, artificial intelligence is going to replace virtually all forms of work apart from work which involves 
very, very high levels of specialised human connection. That's either the people who are actually the technology designers or the people who are in the human services um, that have skill levels that cannot be replicated by artificial intelligence. So the whole field of employment is going to shrink, you know, to quite a dramatic extent. Now, that has implications. With each technological revolution, you have two sets of things going on. On the one hand, the technology's increasing functionality, and that it's a fairly predictable event. On the other hand, which is a much bigger issue, is that the technology has political, economic, and social implications and consequences. These are far more unpredictable. They're much bigger challenges, and they're much bigger questions. So at one end of the spectrum, you might have to see people for whom the vision is, well, actually, work's disappearing. What's going to happen to people? How's wealth going to be distributed? Then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have the people who are making the fortune, who become increasingly philanthropic, you know, who want to basically reorganise the distribution of wealth. Um, but <clears throat> all of these things actually social and political and socio-economic arena. So for people like you and I, Martin, who are, um, if you like, specialists in what we do, it's really, really important that we widen our interdisciplinary teams to actually make contact and work with and co-create with people who are operating on the political, socio-economic front as well. So I think that's another demand that there's a broadening and deepening of knowledge and the degree to which we interconnect and the depth in which we interconnect. And that all comes through something called interdisciplinarity and co-creation. Well, thank you, Dennis, for bringing us a new level of awareness and definitely positivity and, and great knowledge. And uh, looking forward to our next uh, interview in near future. And you, Martin, it's a pleasure always working with you. I really like your receptivity and your energy and your questions. Your skill is to open up learning for other people. It's a skill I really admire. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis, for your kind words. Keep in touch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.